everybody A, everybody gay. A queer exploration of pretty little liars. With your hosts, Speak Pirate, aka Joanna. I'm here, I'm queer, and I have a cat named Spencer. And your other host, LCO123, aka Vina, a proud member of the Church of Vander Jesus. Welp, we're here at the end of the road, the final episode of the original run, Pretty Little Liars. Till death do us part. A fitting title, because I felt like this episode was going to kill me. It is extra long. Uh, we have an extra lot of things to say about it. Um, we should also say that our plan is to kind of do this episode like we would a regular season finale recap, and then talk about it as a series finale next week, like thematically, more of a deep dive, everything like that, what it means for uh, the show to have this as its capstone. Um, <laughs> this will be a long podcast episode, because this episode is double long and endless, but we will press on. Um, what can we say? You know, this was the best of shows, it was the worst of shows, and this does not want us leaving more. We've got the proposal. <laughs> We've got men being the worst. We've got accent work galore. We've got a Marlene cameo. It is it is a double stuffed Oreo. Yeah, this is a real hot mess of an episode. And right up top, I'm going to say, I know there are many, many candidates out there for worst <laughs> series finales of all shows. Uh, you know, some people cite Game of Thrones, some people cite The Sopranos, some people cite uh, Seinfeld. For me personally, of shows that I have been invested in, I can't think of a worse series finale. I think that this episode has really no regard for its fans or its characters or the relationships between its characters. Uh, it's just sort of a really glum trudge towards the end. It's bound by the OTPs, and yet it seems to have utter resentment for all of the OTPs. Uh, the characters are at their dumbest and least fun. And it's just a really, really silly conclusion that wraps up uh, in in just kind of a very, I think, grim futures for all of our characters. Yeah, I mean, it's hard. It's hard to argue. Uh, it's hard to argue against any of that. There was, um, this is like, oh, no, am I going to make this comparison? I think I am. Um, on, <laughs> at the point when the 2016 election was about to be called for Donald Trump, uh, I was watching like whatever network I was watching, it had Van Jones and Corey Lewandowski were like on this program. And Corey Lewandowski, who's a terrible human, was like loading. And Van Jones was like, like very upset and almost crying. And Corey Lewandowski was like, he was like not letting it go. He was just like gloating and triumphing. And Van Jones turned to him and said, Corey, you are being a terrible human being. And Corey Lewandowski did not care. And I always feel like that was like, I didn't realize it at the time, but that was a precursor to like an era of America in which people would just be their most terrible selves and yeah. not care. And this episode, I feel like is is also an example of that. Like, yeah, like so many of these characters are like, mm, what is the distillation of all my worst traits? Yep, going with that. And like, yeah. off they go, off they go down that track. Um, so yeah, that's, that's where we are. 
Yeah, it's it almost seems to be, you know, series finales can be a lot of things, right? They can be a celebration. They can be a new beginning. They can be um, sort of a, a turning point for characters. And this feels like this almost feels like the writers turning to the audience and like kind of shrugging their shoulders and being like, gotcha. You know, like there's no real catharsis to any of this, which is really, I think what a series finale should provide at the end of the day is some element of catharsis. And this just provides absolutely none of that. And it, it really, and I think we'll get into this more next week, but it really makes me question what they thought the show was about. Well, I think that they are very self-congratulatory as they move through this episode. I think if you ask them how they would grade themselves, they would give it an A+. And also, they're investing a lot of time within this episode of setting up, setting up various spinoffs that never come to be. Uh, yes. And then the spinoff that we do get is, like, hilarious, because it was obviously supposed to be Emerson, but then they couldn't get Shay. So they yeah. really, um, yeah, a lot of a lot of interesting choices here. Yes. Um, but, you know, this episode is, as you said, 400 hours long. Um, so I think we should probably dive in. I think we should. Would you like to start us off? Yeah. My first thought was like the previouslys are so boring. Like, remember at the end of season three when they had that like Buffy season five thing of like, remember all the things that have happened since you turned me down on the mountain? And it was like the flash of all the things like. I was like, oh, that would have been so fun. Or if you had like, you know, every character's first line or something. But it's just like the mystery is so convoluted at this point that like we just get all these just kind of clips of of current, epi- current you know, things that have happened. Um, this opening scene is probably one of pro- maybe the best scene of the episode. Uh, definitely <laughs> up there. Uh, it peaks early. It does. The liars are sitting outside. Uh, they are talking about Bridget Wu and Mona's fancy bag line. It appears to be a hot summer evening. Uh, but quickly we see that something is maybe not quite, we're not quite in reality here because Lucas kind of tap dances on by. Uh, Spencer mentions her panties, which I think is something we should pay attention to when we find out some other information in a moment. Uh, Jenna suddenly walks by on a horse. Weirdly, there are a lot of horses in this episode. Uh, And the liars start talking about why they miss A so much. How, you know, A just kind of made life more interesting. Uh, Also, also, uh, Allie has terrible bangs. The terrible bangs have arrived. Uh, It starts to snow and the liars smile. But we are in a fantasy, a snow globe. In fact, Mona's snow globe. Uh, somebody walks in and Mona uh, drops the snow globe. It shatters on the floor. And she says, I never would have guessed it was you. Are you here to kill me? Uh, she's presumably at Welby or some other institution. However, it looks just like the old Bradley set. Yes. Yes, it does. Also, all of the liars get the shush here. I think that this was a missed opportunity. I think they should have given it to Mona. Oh, my goodness. That would have been absolutely perfect. Yeah, but this, but I mean, this episode, like, what this episode is communicating to us is, like, we should hate Mona. Like, Mm -hmm. Hannah is the one character who doesn't hate Mona, and she's told multiple times throughout the episode that she is wrong for not hating Mona. 
Well, I will also mention that you discussed like Spencer talking about uh, her panties and they're talking about some iced panty liners. Uh, Hannah also says something about the tingly feeling she would get when she knew that A was watching her. And so I feel like the yeah. fact that this is taking place in Mona's snow globe imagination. Um, also, uh, just a just a queer watch alert for yeah. Hannah feeling tingly feelings. Of course, of course. Uh, so Presria are needlessly on a movie studio lot because their book might might become a movie and also they're getting married this week there's banter about vows and aria being an ugly crier next <laughs> i love how quickly you <laughs> go through that also weirdly it's a year later which seems really strange because like i don't know like so they took a whole other year to plan their wedding yes now i have a question was there ever, like, a thing that came across the screen that told us it was one year later? Yeah, right at okay. the beginning of that scene, it says one year later. Okay, I was, like, I was already ready to move on, so I did I right, totally get one it. Year, one year later. We're one year later. Um, I also do think it's funny that Arya says that in her version of The Way We Were, the wife dies and they get back together, which feels very Arya. It does feel very Arya. I wish we had gotten a call back to the cat. Yeah. That would have been great. Uh, so Emily and Allison have twin baby girls, Grace and Lily. Emily is feeding them some baby food while Allie watches from the doorway in a way that I think is meant to make us feel nervous. She seems a bit wistful uh, as they go about their hurried mom of two babies morning routine. Yes. At the Radley Bar, we see that uh, Allison, who said that she had, like, an early morning meeting with, you know, blah 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 work business, uh, she's actually meeting with Pam Fields. There's some talk back and forth of how Allison hates lying to her, but Emily's going to find out soon enough. And that it's meaningful to Pam to know that Emily will be taken care of, and Allison promises she'll always be there for her. It kind of seems like they were trying to plant seeds of like Pam maybe being ill or yes. like this kind of conspiracy between Pam and Allison. But the problem here is that Pam is so cheerful in this scene. Like yeah. Pam is just like, I mean, if Pam, uh, if, if Pam has gotten bad news, you certainly would not know it because she just seems full of delight. Yeah, and she looks great. Like, it's, yeah, it's not, it's not really selling that idea. It feels like a very half, this episode is full of half-baked red herrings. And this is <laughs> yes, yes, there's nothing like a raw herring. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> be sprinkled in your episode. It just stinks, yeah. up, stinks up the whole joint. But yes, we have a lot of raw herrings. Raw herrings, exactly. <laughs> uh, so Melissa and Spencer are brushing horses and talking warmly for them. Uh, it's clear that they are closer than they've ever been. They joke a bit with one another. And then suddenly Toby shows up. He is scruffy and werewolfish. He is back from Africa because that's where white men go when they need to find themselves on this show. Uh, he comes over to pet her horse. And Spencer uh, expositions to us that sh this horse only trusts her. So if there was maybe, you know, a second Spencer, this horse would know. Uh, we learn that Spencer now has a pickup truck. G -g -g Gay. <laughs> there is a definite flirty vibe between Spencer and Toby. 
Uh, also, shout out to Spencer and Melissa for their queer looks, which I know are just riding clothes, but I, it 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 has uh, a very a very queer effect here. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, also, we hear that Toby uh, wasn't sure if he was coming back to town for the wedding, but he landed in New York and then just started walking. How very Forrest Gump of him. Yeah. Yeah. Toby kind of is the Forrest Gump of this show. <laughs> Oh, you, you're getting all of the horses so far. <laughs> two for two, of course. Two for two. Um, at school, Allison is teaching a class where she is, I guess, having her high school students read the Presria book. <laughs> oh, that's a bad idea for a lot of reasons. Uh, there's some meta commentary about how a happy ending depends on where you choose to stop the story and how even though an ending might be happy, can still make a reader sad that a really good story is ending. Well, I wouldn't know about that from watching this episode. <laughs> anyway, this is cut into by Addison. Oh, Addison, interjecting to call Allison a lesbo. What a absolutely lazy writing. Even more so because Allison, despite having been teaching for at least two years at this point, has no better method for dealing with this than to say, what did you say? And then cornering Addison by laying hands on her, grabbing her arm hard as she's on her way out of class to say that she may think she's winning the battle, but Allison will win the war. Addison cautions her against leaving a bruise. She could bury her with that. Then again, it wouldn't be the first time someone buried her alive. She also first names her, calling her Allie, to which Allison says, it's Miss De Laurentiis. Wow, I would fire anyone whose first move is to manhandle a student in anger, also, Allison, like, remember when Paige made that crack about Emily and the breaststroke and the coach was like, no, this is inappropriate. No, yeah. you know, no quarter is going to be given to that. Like, that is the way that this show used to handle this kind of thing. And I don't know why they are not handling it in the same way here. It's just like, Addison called her a lesbo and there's nothing that can be done except like grabbing her and threatening her in a veiled way. Yeah, it's super weird. It's really, really weird. Um, should I take us into the hallway? You should. Because who's in the hallway? Biggest surprise for me of this episode, Sydney Sweeney. Um, <laughs> a young Sydney Sweeney, you know, star of Euphoria and the White Lotus, is just part of Addison's girl gang. She's the Spencer of the group. Oh, and everything sucks. She was. Uh, and she was in everything yeah. sucks. Yeah, I mean, it's so. It was that to me. Uh, that was the moment. The first moment of this episode where I was like, "Oh, this episode is going to make me lose my mind a little bit, isn't it?" <laughs> um, so she's there in a gigantic pair of glasses uh, with her her group of friends, including Addison. Uh, Emily walks up just then and Allie makes a comment about how they is there something that they can do to Addison as though they're planning on killing her. Uh, just then a girl finds a doll with a knife in it in her locker, which like Jesus Christ, why does the liar story need to be cyclical? It's not this is not like I feel like they're almost trying to do a Buffy style ending of like it's the next generation of liars like it's the next generation of slayers. But like the. What made that work on Buffy is that, like, that cyclical thing was built into the story. In every generation, a girl is born, you know? And this is just, like, laziness of, like, just trying to to appeal to our sense of nostalgia. This is like we only have one idea. And we, yeah. have, dr we have driven it into the ground. It's like a flat tire that the rim is now bending because we have driven it so much. 
and yet we want to sell you the exact same tire. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so Allie asks if Addison is bullying her. I think this girl's name is Claire. I think Emily Maybe. refers to Claire at some point. Um, and Jenna just then tap, tap, taps down the hallway to ca- tell Addison to get to class. Uh, Addison is immediately, you know, bitchy about Jenna's blindness. And Jenna replies that she may not be able to see, a- see but she can still smell a bitch from a mile away. Uh, we learn via Allie and Emily that Jenna is a life skills teacher, question mark. Okay. Uh, honestly, like the show that I want to see is the wacky teacher sitcom uh, of all of the teachers who are so bad at their jobs and keep manhandling students. Yeah. Like this is like, I'm no fan of Addison because she's a cartoon villain. However, yeah. this is like the second time in two minutes that a teacher has like grabbed her and like physically like physically yes. been inappropriate. So yeah, not, not great show. Not great. No. Uh, especially because with Jenna, it's like, she's doing like the daredevil thing. Like, like Addison yes. is like waving a hand in front of her face. And so Jenna grabs her wrist and yeah. she can smell a bitch a mile away. Um, not, not good. Not a good way to talk to your students. No. Uh, in Halo land, surprise, surprise, they're fighting. <laughs> Caleb wants a medal because Hannah wanted them to stay in Rosewood for her. He supported that. And then she spent countless nights visiting her, which he supported as well. Something tells me that might not be true. Uh, But not this. He will not support this. Hannah's like, it's not forever. It's just till she finishes her therapy. Caleb is mad dad. They were doing so well with her designs taking off and him selling his software to Lucas and them buying the loft. So it's like, it's a fight, but it's also a fight full of clunky exposition. (laughs) Anyway, not this. Caleb's not having it. Stomp, stomp, stomp. He goes upstairs because he will not say hello. He also gives Hannah the kind of utterly contemptuous look that is a real red flag. Hannah goes to the door because Welby has just dropped off the Vander Jesus. Oh my God. It's... Like, it's so weird because, like, this is where it's, like, the show is, like, yeah, we'll give you your OTPs, but we're going to poison them. You know, be careful what you wish for. Like, they Caleb is so contemptible as a couple in this episode, and Caleb is so contemptible as a character. <laughs> Caleb is so, like, this this scene is, like, you know, the first scene that he's in, and I was, like, oh, my God, he's horrible. But this is, like, his horribleness builds. Like, it builds. Yes. Every time we come back to it, it is worse. So it's like, yeah, yeah, this is really, really bad. But like, this is like, I would trade, I would trade several other Caleb moments in this episode for nothing worse than this awful moment here. Yeah, I I completely agree. Also, wasn't it last episode when Caleb was actually like feeling some sympathy toward Mona? Everyone was in the last episode. Yeah. Um, But it has evaporated for no reason that anyone has to tell us about and it's crazy because like so mona is here and she is just the sweetest little baby she's like in a little sweater she looks so small and sad she comes in you know she wants to make sure that it's okay that she's still here and hannah assures her that it is um mona just suggests maybe a quiet night in with some thai takeout and you know maybe they could watch a movie and you know maybe they could sit close together on the couch and you know, Mona, she's so tired from the meds. Maybe she could, like, put her head in Hannah's lap and Hannah could 
stroke her hair and she could stroke a little lower if she wanted to. You know, Mona wouldn't be opposed, but <sighs> heterosexuality ruins it again because we have Arya and Prezra's bachelor bachelorette party tonight, which like not great timing on anybody's part here. Uh, Mona says that she, you know, knows that Hannah told her that, but she isn't as sharp as she used to be. Uh, and she just kind of sadly sits down at the TV. Oh my goodness. The oppressive heterosexuality in this episode is real because there's an endless cavalcade of events for this yep. Presbyterian wedding, which then is going to include two actual weddings. Oh God. Well, it's ridiculous. I, I'm with Mona. I would much rather just sit there and watch the game show channel. Yeah, why not? Um, at the renovated Lost Woods, all the liars are together and chatting about the renovation. They head out into a courtyard area that has been lit with twinkle lights, and they have some kind of theme going on about an evening in Provence in honor of Presria's upcoming honeymoon. Uh, we switch briefly back to the loft to show that the game show the game show channel is on, but Mona. Ooh. Yes, and then we see that someone is watching in the woods as the liars talk about getting married. Uh, Caleb is being gross. Prezra is being grosser, talking about the <laughs> wedding night and the honeymoon. Uh, we learn that there's a Christian camp across the lake, which is why we hear yelling, which is a weird thing that they, like, drop in here, and it seems like it's going to be relevant, and then it doesn't end up mattering at all. It's just, like, for the sake of... Yeah. <laughs> what are you miming? <laughs> raw, raw hair. Raw hair. I was like, I was like throwing it. I was throwing the raw hair. Okay. <laughs> for for everybody listening, Joanna was just like doing some some charades that I could not quite figure out. Yes, raw herring. It's another piece of raw herring. <laughs> Um, yes, Prezra talks about this honeymoon that he is planning to the south of, of France. It's very vague. It seems like maybe he's planning on killing Arya. Uh, Hannah remarks sadly that they never got to take a honeymoon. Spencer proposes a toast, and we follow to see who is watching them. And it appears to be Melissa in an A hoodie. Yes. Uh, boy, Caleb certainly seems to be on the brink of divorce. Uh, he is being super rude and then covering it up with like, ha ha, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah. when he talks about them getting married to avoid testifying against each other. And Hannah's like, no, that's actually exactly why we got married. And then he's yeah. like acting hurt. Uh, also, he looks at Hannah in such a contemptuous way. And he looks at Spencer as if he's wondering if he could convince her to like blow him behind the registration desk. <laughs> Which, I mean, maybe he could. I don't know I, what these two are up to. Not, it's not impossible. Um, so now the liars are sitting around a fire pit hearing hilarious stories about how Prezra's mother threw a centerpiece at Ella's head while discussing the seating chart. Uh, there's more halo tension, and Spencer calls Hannah over to the drinks cart to discuss all the things that are wrong with her marriage. Hannah explains about Mona and how she has no one else, nowhere to go, and Hannah made her play the game. She shouldn't have done that. Too true. Spencer says, to paraphrase, that you can only move forward if you don't look back. Uh, my comment here is everyone should be way nicer to Mona. Yeah, I. so this is like, it's such a small moment, but it's like the sexiest moment of the episode for me <laughs> personally. When uh, Spencer invites Hannah to come make a mojito and Hannah's like, how many people does it take to make a mojito? 
And Spencer turns and she arches an eyebrow. And in her very low voice, she just says, two. In a way that seems to suggest, like, two is the amount of fingers that I will be putting inside of you in the kitchen. (laughs) Wow. Apparently, like, uh, yeah, apparently the Spencer energy at the Lost Woods, that's, that's where it's at. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody wants to fuck Spencer. And I mean, who can blame him? She looks great. Yeah. Uh, so back over at the fire pit, Prezra says that he doesn't think marriage is going to be that hard considering everything they've gone through, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but Emily remarks that that's because they don't have kids yet. And and there's a cute little moment where the show actually confirms that Emily and Allison are going to have sex. They go back to their room hand in hand, and then everybody else follows suit, leaving just Spencer and Toby. Uh, Toby expositions to us that Spencer is a paralegal at her mom's firm and going through law school. Uh, She invites him back to her room in a very flirty way. In his room, Spencer and Toby are playing Scrabble. Uh, They do have like some charming chemistry and Spencer talks about how well things are going. She and Melissa are getting along. She and her mom are so close, and it's real, and it's solid, and she never knew how badly she needed that until she has it. Uh, she is better at Scrabble than Toby because she knows all of the cue with no U words. He is duly impressed. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. Like, obviously, all of this, you know, good uh, relationship development happened off screen. But I think... I think she's talking about her relationship with Veronica, but I think we are meant to think that she's talking about her relationship with Mary based on what happens later. I I mean, I think we're supposed to just imagine it's ambiguous. Like, I don't even really think the writers knew which mom they meant at that time. Sure, sure. But I think that later we're supposed to be like, oh, this is when Spencer said, you know, whatever. Um, Another another, uh, raw herring here (laughs) on the table. Uh, so then we go to a sex montage. We have Presria having sex. That's all I'm going to say about it. Uh, other than just like there are barebacks involved and it looks pretty steamy. Um, Why does Arya do that move where she makes the sheet into a cape? That was truly, I was like, what are the straight people I, up to? I think because she had done that in a previous sex scene of theirs and this was a oh, callback. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, then we get some nice ankle brushing for the lesbians uh they are fully swaddled in blankets when they talk to one another like individual sheets wrapped around (laughs) their torsos like these breasts will not be touching today thank you sir um in a sort of concerned way Allie tells emily that she is here for her she's her family uh emily is worried about Allie being sweet saying that that's not the kind of mood she's trying to cultivate and they brush ankles some more I think there may be like a half second of someone's hand clenching on the back of someone else's upper thigh, um, but it's impossible to really say. Mostly it's about ankle brushing. And also the way that they are under the sheets together is like, who, who would like, who would do this? Like, who would be wrapped in this way? Like, even if it were like, who's guess guess? If you're if you're like under the sheet with the person that you're having sex with, like you guys are both under the sheet, like your bodies are touching under the sheet. Yes, or you're just under the sheet like normal people. You're not like clutching the the sheet around (laughs) your torso in this way that like both of them are doing, and it's super super weird. It's so weird. (laughs) Oh my goodness. 
Um, okay, someone who is not enjoying sexy times this night. Well, I mean, someone who is not enjoying this night, period. Hannah, who is rubbing her temples to ward off a major headache that is her fucking husband. Uh, despite the fact that they just had sex, he is fully clothed and having a fit about Mona again. He says he's a passenger in their marriage, despite not lowering his voice or opting not to yell at Hannah right now, both of which she has politely asked him to do. She has her legs against the wall. She is trying to get pregnant, although why she would want to have a baby with, much less continue to talk to this man, is beyond me. He thinks they maybe shouldn't have a baby because he wants to leverage Hannah's desires against her and weaponize their sex life if he cannot get his way. Hmm. How charming. Yeah, these two are just increasingly toxic for one another. Also, side note, uh, there, one of my neighbors is doing some kind of construction work, so apologies if the mic is uh, picking that up. Oh, but... I, I cannot hear it. So Oh, good, good, good. I mean, if, if, if we hear it, we'll just assume that it's like Tanner eating scenery from the yeah. previous episode. Exactly, it's just Tanner munching on a wall. That's how it goes. Um, yeah, it's it's the thing that I just find so particularly like, Ugh, about this is that I think we are meant to be on Caleb's side through all of this. Oh, yeah, I agree. Yeah, which is just, I hate it. I hate it so much. Uh, so in uh, in the marriage bed, uh, Aria gets a call and gets out of bed. Uh, she sounds concerned and surprised as she takes this phone call. And we see that Melissa, or at least a Melissa-faced person, is watching her. Uh, speaking of watching, Spencer watches Tobey sleep and plays a final word on the Scrabble board. Uh, as she walks through the lobby, Spencer discovers Aria, who is there sobbing. Uh, she declares that she can't marry Prezra. Oh, Spencer says, as she holds her hand. Outside, Melissa Face removes her mask, and we see that she is Mona. Um, also weird, like moment for a callback, the pink song about a stranger coming inside starts playing again. Oh yeah. Yeah. Which is like a weird, like that was like a Haleb and Paley thing. So it's like kind of weird that it's playing on a Spoby scene, but whatever. Um, so yes. Yeah, so you said that it's actually Mona, mm-hmm. um, which like, what even is the point of this? Just more raw herring, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. I, I really have no idea why they had her wear a Melissa mask. When, like, no one even saw her in the Melissa mask, which she's actually going to call out later in this very episode. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. It's weird. Um, So, uh, let's see. It's now, I guess, maybe the morning or still maybe nighttime. Um, but the liars are all gathered together. And Arya is saying that she can't tell him. She can't tell Prezra. Uh, the other liars are sort of trying to assure her that, you know, she can and she should. Uh, we still don't know what exactly she is talking about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you should be able to talk to your partner about major issues if you're planning to get married, but la, la, la. Exactly, yeah. Uh, outside, Mona is on the phone with Monetaria. Oh, I call her Monetaria, too. Well, what else are we going to call you? Monetaria. Um, she wants them to use this Aria info against the liars. Uh, but it is not part of Monetaria's plan, which seems to consist of Mona wearing a mask for no one to see her in and nothing else. Okay. Yeah, Mona's main goal here is that she wants to know who this person is. Um, yeah, it it also almost sounded like Lucy was still doing the voiceover part for Monetaria. It was kind of weird. <laughs> okay. 
So I will tell you, um, like, as we have done this, all of these recaps, I usually watch the show with, um, like, I, I don't have sound. I watch it, like, with the closed captioning on most of the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did not do that for, like, the entirety of this episode because when we get you need the sound. You you need yes. you need the sound for what is coming. Um, so I I did not have the sound on at this part, so I cannot comment if it is still Lucy's voice voicing Monetaria. That would be pretty perfect. How is it that we've been doing this podcast for this long, and here on the finale episode, I find this out? I never knew this. Oh, I thought I thought I had mentioned it before because sometimes I'll be like, oh, the closed captioning says this. Later in this episode, I have a mention about what the closed captioning says. <laughs> so, TV. Well, you know, it's never too late to learn new things about your friends. Well, because usually I'm like, I'm, I, you know, all these episodes, I've seen them, like, usually several times before. Not this one. Um, but, like, usually I'm, like, watching it and I'm making my notes. And I, a lot of times I'm also, like, doing something else. Like, there's a basketball game on or, like, Kristen is, like, doing a craft or, you know. So, yes, usually it's, it's part of a multitasking Understandable. Understandable. Uh, so the next morning, Arya is back at uh, Prezrez and she knocks over a wine glass that's just like sitting out in the morning for some reason. And she immediately starts crying. And when Prezra comes over, she tells him that she can't have kids. Yes. You know, the only thing women are good for initially, he acts like this is all right. Yes. Yes. Uh, at the loft, Hannah panics when Mona is not sitting in the exact same seat where she was when they left the night before. Like, what were they? They were thinking that Mona was just going to stay in that. Like, she wasn't even going to a bed. She was just going to sleep in that somewhat uncomfortable-looking chair in front of Apparently. the television. Uh, Caleb immediately assumes that she skipped out, and he is dialing the police. <laughs> uh, wow, what a prince. Uh, it turns out Mona was just in the shower, and Caleb is absolutely doing the most to be as rude as possible to her. Yes. Uh, in uh, a jail visitation area, Mary Drake walks in to visit a Spencer-shaped person who refers to her as mom, and they clasp hands. Presria is being a big damn hero for acting like it's fine. He's rich. They can buy a baby or whatever. Uh, he says they can adopt or use a surrogate. So I'm interpreting for him here. Uh, he holds her close and probably wants there to be a parade about how well he is handling all of this. She also looks so childlike as she climbs into his lap. It's kind of unnerving. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um. A a Spencer-shaped person who is Alex Drake uh, is asking how Mary is and saying that she needs her help. (sighs) Okay, so I get the first part of the Presria rehearsal dinner, which seems to be, it seems to be more of a reception, honestly. Like, I thought one of the main things about a rehearsal dinner was that you have dinner, and it's like, this is the, you know, normally it would be like the wedding party plus immediate family, maybe some out of town guests. But this party has everyone, everyone. It's like, it's like they wanted there to be a wedding reception, but they were like, oh, there's actually going to be trouble with like the whole getting married thing. So yeah. they just like sort of threw this party into it. Um, I'm just going to say, I wish this party had been a masked ball. I yeah. really feel like the lack of masked balls has been 
a letdown. Um, why not? Why not have it be the rehearsal dinner mask ball? I think that would be so fun. Um, but this party has everyone, including Mona, who Hannah has brought without apparently talking to anyone. Uh, Ashley meets them and is frosty to Mona in a way that feels out of character for her. Uh, we also get Ashley and Caleb offering kind of joint parental disapproval of Hannah's choices. Mona goes to get some food and then Emerson appear to also berate Hannah for choosing to bring Mona. This all feels really strange. Why are all the liars so anti-Mona all of a sudden? Was something cut from this episode that would have given a backstory there? Um, Ari also appears to be like, why would you bring our mutual ex-girlfriend to my rehearsal dinner? Uh, Hannah explains that Caleb refuses to leave Mona home alone, and it's hard to find someone in, to sit for someone in their 20s. Caleb is such an ass then because he's also being petulant about Mona coming with them. His real beef is with Mona existing because he is a jerk. Emily, who is the only person so far to offer any reason for why everyone is upset about Mona's presence, is that the last time they saw Mona, she tried to push Hannah off the bell tower. Well, actually, the last time you saw her, you were all having sympathy for her mental illness and taking steps to get her help. But, you know, details. Hannah begs them all to pretend that she is a friend, at least for tonight. Spencer agrees that she can do that. I do really like Hannah's response uh, to the mention of the bell tower, which she says, yeah, and she feels bad about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. So Byron Montgomery is standing and looking out a window and it was like I feel like the appearance of Byron here was almost like a jump scare because I was like I thought we were getting out of this series without any more Byron sightings I had totally forgotten that he was in this episode and like suddenly there he is yeah you you're getting all the horses and all the asses I I am I am getting the horses and the asses uh, you're getting a few a few asses yourself I have to say uh, just then, Prezra brings Byron a scotch, and they start masturbating in front of each other. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, Byron goes on this weird soliloquy about how instead of trying to make Ella and himself happy, Prezra has made Arya happy. This is in response to Prezra saying that he never felt like he got approval from Ella and Byron, which, first of all, yeah, no shit, dude, you were her teacher. Second of all, they've been pretty damn approving of the two of you being a couple. It's a disgusting scene. I don't know why it exists in this episode. Uh, I think it just exists to, to make us mad, honestly. I think that that's the only reason. <laughs> well, I actually think it's a fascinating thing to speculate about whether Byron would or would not approve of Prezra as a husband for Arya. Like, since they're basically the same person. Like, on one hand, he's definitely going to cheat on her with, like, young girls. Uh, that's a given. And he's a liar, also a given. Like, mm -hmm. does Byron recognize those traits and want better for his daughter? No, he just, you know, feels like, well, you, you know, never wanted my approval. So you're focused on making Arya happy. I don't know, like, when was the last time that either Prezra or Byron talked to Arya about whether she is happy? Yeah. My money is on never. Yeah, very true. Uh, uh, oh, elsewhere, Ella is having a face-off with the, you know, kind of like grand, you know, the grand Diane Fitzgerald over the finger foods that are being served. Uh, Diane leaves in a huff. Ashley and Veronica appear just as Ella has ordered the barkeep to leave the bottle because she is going to drink all of the wine. 
Uh, they talk about Peter's pretentious mother. We get some humor about Ashley eating pizza with a knife and fork, which honestly, I would be shocked if all of the Hastings didn't eat their pizza like that. But anyway, they reminisce about being in the basement where Ella at least had peace and quiet. Uh, they talk about how they got out without telling us how. And we learned that Pam did not drink for a year after that. They all toast. And I'm, I'm going to say, like, this is a fun little scene. This might be one of my favorite scenes of the episode. Just the moms being the moms together. I agree. It's super cute. But I do hate the meta joke of, like, because it had been such a thing about the basement. And I'm like, you could have done this without the basement joke. Well, or you could have told us how they got out of the basement. We've had, yes. like, 5,000 moments of clunky exposition already. Yes. Um, you could have you could have solved that mystery for us. But th this is the show being, like... Uh, you know, we could if we wanted to, but we don't. But we don't. Yeah. Could if I wanted to. Uh, so Emily and Toby are talking when Emily spies Pam and Allie and gets suspicious. Uh, it looks like maybe uh, Pam is handing something to Allie. They're being kind of private and rushing off. Uh, but before Emily can do anything, she's accosted by Sydney Sweeney uh, and a friend. This is Willa and Hadley who are working this party. Uh, Hadley, I think, is the one who is apparently Maya's niece, which is really, really dumb. Uh, Emily is trying to tell them that they don't have to be at Addison's beck and call. They say that they don't want to be on her bad side. And it's a really weird thing here where, like, the show is, you know, setting up this thing, obviously. Like, Addison is the new Allison. She's the new mean girl. But rather than the show being like, oh, well... Allison was like this complicated, lonely figure and we could like figure out how to intervene in this girl's life and have compassion for her. The show is basically like, well, she's an evil bitch and nobody should be friends with her. Yeah, the show is totally like that. And it would be like it would be a more interesting story if it was like, how could they how could they like change the fate of Allison? But like no yeah. one wants to no one wants to change the fate. They just. Like, the idea here is Addison gets what she deserves, and so did Allison. Like, that, yeah. that, is the, that is the through line that they seem to be drawing. Yeah, the general vibe of this episode, like, if this episode had, had a thesis statement, I think it's just, like, women suck. <laughs> okay, I have a couple things to say about that last scene. One of which is that when Emily and Toby are talking, Toby wants to meet the babies, and Emily immediately is saying that they need a nanny, which... Oh my God, no one ever agreed to be the nanny for Emily cover for me fields. You would agree to babysit for a night and you would wind up like keeping those kids till they were 18. Oh my God. Um, but then I feel like Emily, like kind of like Emily is a guest at this event. And these two, these two teenagers are like working at the event. This is their job. She accosts them. And she also brings up to this girl, like, this is how we know she's Maya's niece. She brings up her relationship with Maya. Like, this is extremely inappropriate. Like, and I know, I know that we're supposed to be like, Addison is the worst. So it's all okay, whatever anybody is doing around her. But I really feel like Allison laying hands on Addison, Jenna calling Addison a bitch and also laying hands on her. Emily, like, having this not super appropriate conversation with Addison's friends to try to get them to ostracize her socially, like, these inappropriate boundaries create the environment where Prezra is allowed to flourish. Like, yeah. if, if there are no rules for anyone, there are no rules for anyone. Yeah, 
I think that's a really good point. I think that's a really good point. Also, do you think that in the like, you know, uh, Emily Allison spinoff that they were desperately trying to make happen, do you think that they ever floated the idea of Toby as like the wacky babysitter? Oh my God. That would be amazing. I honestly, I would watch that show. (laughs) Okay. So Toby is waiting on the steps outside the venue for Spencer. Uh, Spencer is the designated driver for the moms. Uh, All of the moms are trashed. Uh, Toby congratulates her on winning the Scrabble game, which she won with a fancy word that means unrequited love. He is indicating that maybe it is not unrequited and maybe he wants to ride her or go riding with her, something like that anyway. And they seem on the verge of getting back together. Uh, now, I believe that Spoby is just as toxic as the other straight couples. Remember when he grabbed her and would not let her use her phone? Uh, but at this moment in time, they actually seem to like each other, which is more than can be said for most of these other ships. Uh, and they didn't hook up amidst a super fucked up power dynamic, which everyone is now pretending is normal as they're on the verge of marriage. So I'm for it. Yeah, that tracks. It's also like, this might be Alex. I'm not sure. There's like a lot of scenes earlier in this episode where it's like, might be Alex, could be, but it it just does not matter. Okay, this, I think, is Spencer. This is okay. actual Spencer. And then she gets in the car and takes the moms home. And then she's at home. And then it's going to be Alex next time we see a person with Spencer's face interacting with Toby. But it also could be out, Al- like, it could have been Alex, like, or that, that who, like, played the Scrabble word. Like, it's, yeah. I don't know. I feel like they're just, it's, they take, they have taken the fun part of having an evil twin, but then they have done nothing fun with it. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Uh, so kind of the, the second part of this scene is that the moms are stumbling down the stairs drunk. Uh, Hannah walks out just then only for Ashley to stumble over to her and tell her not to take love for granted. Uh, uh, Hannah realizes that Ashley is saying that she agrees with Caleb. She loves Hannah even when she's wrong. Um, And I just hate this because it's like Ashley Marin is like we are supposed to agree with Ashley Marin because she's Ashley Marin. Also, she looks fantastic. Um, (laughs) Side note. But like. This is the show saying, like, yes, Ashley and Caleb are both right. Mona is the worst. Hannah is such a dumb little baby. And she should just be listening to her mommy and daddy, Caleb and Ashley. Well, and, but no one is giving any reasons for that. Like, all their reasons are, we don't like Mona. Which is, yeah. like, I've got to say, not compelling. Yeah. No, I agree. All right. So the horses and the asses. And now it's a horse's ass. Because Prezra thinks that Arya should be happier every time the subject of the wedding comes up her eyes fill with tears oh what an understanding fellow Arya explains that it's a lot all of his family's toasts mentioned kids he has no patience for this he already told her they have options there's a family friend who's a fertility specialist he'll get a second opinion Arya admits this was a second opinion actually it was a third well now Prezra gets ice cold and mad How long has she known about this? Why didn't she tell him? And it turns into, shocker, something that's all about him. How she has wronged him. He gets in a few licks about how he wishes she had as much faith in him as he has in her. He refuses to talk things out with her. Uh, She says, I love you. He says, I love you too. But that's not the same thing, is it? Walks out mad because he is awful. 
I'm not saying that Kresmer should not have any feelings about this, but I am saying that he should put those aside in this moment while his partner is obviously traumatized and doing her best. Also, he started this. He started this by like being like, well, you just keep looking like you're about to cry and I don't like it. Yeah. Um, you know, did Arya not tell him because he's proven himself disinterested in her life and emotionally untrustworthy? Does his current petulant behavior show him to be someone that his partner can entirely confide in and feel safe? I am thinking, no. Yeah, he is being just a little brat in this scene. And uh, yeah, why anyone would want to marry this man is beyond me. Oh, no. Do you... Do you want to talk about this scene? Do you want me to talk about this scene? What, okay. as as our resident Emerson shipper, I think you get to decide. Okay, I'm gonna. I've got a lot to say. Okay, okay, the floor is yours. So, okay, we're at the Pegprosal scene. I am going to run through it a few times. Once, simply describing what happens. Once, giving it the most generous read that I can, and once scathingly please please respect my privacy during this difficult time <laughs> factually in the darkened living room of the de Laurentiis fields home emily and allison are putting away their children's toys allison has bangs and is wearing a pink sweatshirt with a picture of a pug on it which declares her to be waiting for the weekend Allison is trying to draw Emily out, as it seems like Emily may be unhappy with her. Emily indicates that she saw Allison talking to Pam at the party. What were they whispering about? Allison plays dumb. Emily saw Pam putting something in Allie's purse. What was it? Why is Emily so mad here? Allison suggests it might have been breath mints and calls Pam passive aggressive. Emily indicates they will not be going to sleep until she knows what is in that purse as if Allison is one of their baby daughters. Um, Allison says, well, remind me never to throw you a surprise party. And she pulls a ring box out of her purse. Emily is shocked, somewhat confused. That is her grandmother's ring. Allison says that she has this whole romantic proposal planned, but it didn't include a pug sweatshirt. Uh, Emily is still a bit behindhand. Allison wants to propose to her. Allison says she is still trying, so. And the proposal itself is about how Emily has always seen the best in her, and she will promise to do that every day. Will she promise to do that every day for the rest of their lives? Emily will, and Allison puts a ring on it. Do you have any comments on this, <laughs> this factual description of the I, scene? I, I admire the factual description very much. Um, I'm sure I'll have more, more to say on your next description. I will just say that the um, the commentary about do you promise to do this for the rest of our lives, that sounds more like wedding vows to me than a marriage proposal, but your mileage may vary. <laughs> okay, okay. This is like, I feel like this is like the movie Clue at the end. Yes! Like, yes! Do the same scene, like again and right. again. Yeah. Okay. okay, so generously. Okay. Emily and Allison are engaging in a ritual of shared domesticity, putting away the toys of their beloved twins. Sure, Allison isn't dressed to the nines, nor does she have pretty hair <laughs> in this moment, but that just speaks to how they can be their real selves together 
Unlike our hetero couples who tend to let problems fester, Allison is determined that they will talk about it if a problem comes up. Emily, who is only upset because of their relentless dedication to total honesty, wants to know what Pam and Allison were whispering about. Allison tries to do her usual evasive maneuvers, but Emily knows her too well for any of them to work. Finally, Allison relents. She doesn't want to keep her love for Emily a secret anymore. And honestly, this is a really big deal. Like genuinely, it is a big deal. Allison, who has struggled so much with internalized, you know, biphobia, who has so much trouble trusting people and letting them in, she wants to marry Emily Fields. Like in her wildest dreams during freshman year, could Emily ever have imagined this, like getting to this point? And the words that Allison says here, it's like it's all coming home to roost. All the love that Emily's ever had for her, all the time she believed that there was a better version of Allison very deep inside the queen bee. She was right all along. Like, and her always loving Allison has brought them to this moment where Allison loves her too, openly, publicly, forever. Emerson is end game. And we can take this moment to celebrate queer love. For all of us who fell in love with our best friends in high school or college or life and it didn't work out, let us live vicariously through this lovely story of it working out finally, finally for Emily Fields. Hmm. That's really beautiful. That almost makes me believe in Emerson again. Okay. As you know, I have really not liked the proposal scene for a long time, but one of our readers like did did have like an email that really did like try to make me look at it with more generous eyes. So I am, that is my generous reading. That is my generous reading of this. Can I select ending number three scathing <laughs> from the, from this DVD menu of options? <laughs> Scathingly. Allison is once again being dressed by the costume designer who doesn't know what to do with her body and has decided that a pink pug sweatshirt is a good choice. What would be the harm in keeping them in their nice clothes that they were in for the party? Should we be grateful it does not have milk stains on the boobs or spit up on the shoulder? Maybe. Also, to quote an outdated and frankly biphobic queer classic, Kissing Jessica Stein, Allison's bangs are an offense to gay people everywhere, and I am a gay people. <laughs> Emily is extremely angry that Allison was talking to Pam and demands to know what about. This is a weird thing to be very upset about. Part of being in a partnership with someone includes also having a relationship with their family. I suspect Emily is already stepping out and may have used spending time with Pam as an excuse. Now she's going on offense in case Allison talking to her mother revealed that Emily has not been meeting with Pam every Tuesday night this month. Allison, with no more positive feeling than resigned exasperation, pulls out the <laughs> ring. We get a shot of the ring in front of the protruding tongue of the pug. The pug is meta. The pug does not like this scene either. I am the pug. The pug is me. The proposal to Emily is all about Emily always looking for the good in her, which is great, but it also contains a lot of self-blame. Allison says she was an ugly human, unhappy and angry and lonely, and it really frames being loved by Emily as a redemption arc which it is, but also can we forgive Allison for her childhood, like on its face, because she's an adult and trying now to do better? Really think we should. They kiss for one second with closed mouths, then hug. 
I mean, here's what I appreciate about your 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 three point takedown of this scene. Breakdown, takedown. <laughs> I, I contain multitudes. You contain multitudes, and so does this show. Like there is space for nuance here, and we can be happy that Emerson is ending here, and wish that it was a slightly different kind of ending. I think that. I think the world is wide enough for both of those realities to exist. Uh, and I appreciate you uh, you giving us the opportunity to explore those different realities. <laughs> what 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 are your what is your take on this? I mean I think my take lies somewhere in between the three takes that you presented, you know? And I think like the factual take is from the standpoint of like I almost this maybe sounds bad. I almost don't care because there's been so little emotion invested in these two lately. And because we know how swiftly it's going to be undone in the perfectionists. So it's like, it is kind of just a factual list of like, this is, these are the things that happen. You know, the generous, the generous read is like, yeah, I do think that, you know, Emerson or uh, Allison talking about Emily, sorry, the garbage truck is going by my house right now. Uh, Allison, <laughs> which is like very appropriate. Yes. I think that like Allison calling out, you know, these things that she loves about Emily to Emily's face, not just talking about it to Paige, like that is really super significant. And Allison being the one to propose after Emily was sort of always the one who was pushing their relationship forward when they were younger. I think that that does mean something. Um, also, I will say, even though Allison looks like, you know, is swaddled in that awful sweatshirt, uh, Emily has a very cute, like, pajama situation going on. Oh, yeah. Like, she, I'm not even sure, like, if she's wearing, like, really short pajama shorts or if she's just, like, in a shirt with no pants. Emily looks great. She looks great. She looks great. And Allison's face looks great. It's just... It's just what they've done to the rest of her that doesn't. Emily looks so great. Remember, remember the episode where Paige like comes over to Emily's house in the middle of the night, and Emily comes downstairs looking so perfect, and Paige yeah. is just like, you just, you, "You just woke up and you look like that." Like, yeah, em- Emily has that kind of night look going on. She definitely does, for sure. Um, and then you know the the scathing read like. Yeah, this is this is really sad that this is all we get for these two after everything. And that, like, most of their relationship happened off screen in that one year later. You know, we had a whole season about planning the Presria wedding. And here we go, just this, like, little brief moment in the sun for Emerson, you know, hashtag Emerson deserved better. Like, hashtag the queer fans deserved better. So I think that, like, my truth is similar to your truth, which is that all of these things can be true. Yeah. Yeah. Do we have more to say on this scene? Um, no, I'll say that it beats the Halo proposal because they're at least like by themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's fair. I would agree with that. And it beats the Presria proposal because they're not Presria. Mm, yeah. That's too. Yeah. Uh, so Caleb is angry watching TV when Hannah comes in. Uh, he snarks about how her actions have impact have an impact on him. Uh, Hannah clearly wants to just fuck it out and not talk. Uh, Caleb set- lies and says that he will help her uh, with the relationship uh, with Mona. <laughs> They're sitting on the couch talking about this. And at this point, Kelsey 
nervously turned toward me and asked if Mona kills herself. <laughs> oh, God. She was like, it just feels like they're setting that up. And I was like, oh, God, it kind of does. Like, I guess I can be happy that that didn't happen. Um, there kind of seems to be a, a moment of, like, them being like, yeah, we're not on the same page about this. But, like, we don't really want to deal with that. So they have sex on the couch. Uh, for Mona to walk in and see, I guess, maybe this is Caleb's version of staking his claim. Um, I think it's weird that all of the furniture, like, they obviously wanted to show that, like, Hannah and Caleb are living in the loft more permanently. So, like, the furniture is a little different than it was when it was Lucas's loft. This area is obviously, like, Hannah's work area because there are dresses and stuff all around. But, like, the couch that is in the scene and the chairs, like, the chair that Mona was sitting in in the earlier scene... Those are obviously, like, from the Radley sets from earlier this season. So I really like to imagine the staff having to invoke the Hannah Protocol one last time as she backs a moving truck up to the lobby entrance and tells them not to worry about it. Her mom runs the joint. I feel like she probably, like, kidnapped a few bellhops to, like, have them lug the stuff up to her apartment um, before it was all said and done. Also, like, fucking Caleb, if someone is only nice to you when they are getting their own way, they are not actually nice to you. Like, Agreed. The, the, show seems to, the show seems to come at relationships from a standpoint of, like, if you don't agree on everything, it's just trouble. It's irreconcilable differences. And it's like, no. I mean, being with someone is not about agreeing on everything all the time. It's about having, like, basic respect for your differences and a willingness to work through conflict. Like, to have yeah. ways that you do that with love and mutual respect. Like, Caleb does not have any of that. Like, they're either doing things no. Caleb's way or they're not doing them. Yeah, yeah. And it's, like, Hannah just seems exhausted with this marriage by this point. Yeah. 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 Oof. Toby is staying at the Radley now, and he is wearing a towel. Spencer, or someone just wearing her face, shows up, has one line of banter, and then moves into full seduction mode. So much man skin and heterosexual kissing. Uh, I don't think they put the bullet wound on Troyan's shoulder for this, so they're just kind of working the camera around it. This, as we will later learn, uh, this is Alex Drake. Yeah, so, you know, she's here to rape Toby for the second time, and again, it's being framed as sexy Spoby reunion sex. Yep. Yep. So at the barn, uh, actual Spencer steps out of the shower. Uh, She hears some noises, and it's the sounds of someone playing the piano. She goes to check it out, and out of the shadows steps Mona in an A hoodie. Spencer is startled to see her. Mona says, deja vu, bitch, and knocks Spencer out. Yes. I liked the moment when she, like, says, you know, Toby, and then no, it's Mona in the hoodie. And it's like, is Mona there for the booty call? But... Yeah. He's actually just there to watch her. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Spencer wakes up in an underground bunker. Uh, She crawls over. She crawls over to a mirror, or what used to be a mirror, until her reflection drops her arm and yells, Boo! in British. She then (laughs) laughs in British as well. Uh, Spencer is so freaked out. Mary Drake enters and says, They didn't expect her to wake up so soon. Then she jams a tranquilizer shot in Spencer's shoulder and says, sweet dreams. Okay, I had forgotten that the not a mirror trick was how they did the reveal here. And I do have to say, this gets an A plus for camp. I don't think that's what they were going for exactly, but 
we work with what we've got. Oh, I love the mirror trick. I think it's so dumb and so great. I also just like I I honestly cackled when she yells boo. I was I wrote in my notes, Alex Drake is here, bitches. Like I'm you know, it came to a point like I hate Alex Drake as a concept, but it came to a point where it was like the Alex Drake parts are like it has just been like like heterosexual like nonsense and depression that by this point in the episode when Alex Drake showed up, I was like, well, finally something is happening. <laughs> Boo in British, bitches. <laughs> Boo. So we're gonna. I, this is the point in the episode where we have to preemptively apologize to our listeners. The rest of the episode is going to be a lot of bad British accents. That's just, there's no way to talk about the rest of this episode and not do bad British accents. Yeah, this was the point that I had to, like, I had to, like, just turn the sound on on my computer and, like, rewind and watch the scene so I could hear the boo in British and the laughing in British. This was very good. Exactly. Uh, back at the Radley, Prezra is setting something up with a woman and saying that he needs her discretion. It's not clear what exactly this is. Uh, he starts to leave and then he runs into Alex pretending to be Spencer. Yes. Now, he asks her probing questions like, what is she doing there? And Alex doesn't have an answer ready, apparently. Yeah, and apparently, like, then he's going to ask her more questions. This happens off screen, and she, like, really doesn't have any answers, which is weird. Also, like, I think we're to assume that she's at the Radley because she's post-Toby Canoodle, but the way that these scenes are cut together is very confusing because she was just wearing different clothes when she was in the bunker. So she was in the bunker doing the mirror stuff with Spencer. Then (laughs) she changed back into her other clothes and like came up to finish cuddling with Toby. And now she's leaving and running into Prezra. Um, Is that what happened? Or like, are there actually triplets? Would each season have revealed a new baby that popped out of Mary's womb that night? What accent would the third one have? <laughs> French? Bostonian? Russian? Anastasia Dubrovnik. In 9B, game wears you. <laughs> oh my god, now I'm sad we didn't get to 9B. <laughs> I just like I don't know the show doesn't care anymore and neither do I really but like come on yeah no it doesn't make sense like Alex she has like the ability to teleport I think because she's just like all over town it's also very like poorly defined how far away the bunker slash Toby's house is from like the rest of Rosewood because it it feels like it should be really far away, but it seems like it's just, like, right next door. Well, also, the Radley, which used to be further away from Rosewood, it used to be, I think, I think originally when the Radley came in, it was, like, sometimes it was 45 minutes away, sometimes it was 20 minutes away, but it was, like, a distance. And yeah. And now, like, now the Radley is basically, like, adjacent to the town square. <laughs> like, you yeah. can get there in two seconds. Pretty much. Pretty much. Um... Oh, so you get Barry Maple. Oh, do I? I thought I, oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right, I do. Barry Maple, hey, Barry, is with Emerson to announce that Mary Drake has escaped. No details. She may not be alone. She needed help to get out. He wants them to stay vigilant. 
Emily promises they will get in touch with him immediately if Mary tries to contact them. I do like that we get a Barry Maple sighting here at the end. Yeah, I agree. Okay, everybody. So Spencer wakes back up in her cell. Uh, She is hooked up to an IV and chained to the bed. She pulls her IV out. She kind of looks around and, oh, there's Alex Drake. Heels kicked up on a bookshelf. Well, you missed breakfast, but mom's planning a special lunch. Who is she, Spencer wants to know. Who am I? I'm just a girl who met a man when he came in from the rain. We go to a flashback. It is a seedy London pub, and we follow Ren Kingston as he walks in. Uh, He meets the bartender, who is Spencer, but gayer and British. Uh, It's very like Willow and Buffy, you know. Uh, We cannot stress enough just how British she is. She is, nobody has ever been more British than this British person. Uh, He thinks that she's Spencer and that she's putting one on on him. Uh, But it turns out that this is actually a totally different person, which he seems to realize. And Ren sort of gets a look in his eyes like, oh no, this is going to be very bad for me. (laughs) Okay, so... First of all, I love that Alex Drake is so much more openly bisexual than Spencer, which you can tell from the fact that she cannot properly sit on any chair. There is a lot of chair and posture work going on in conjunction with the accent. And now I'm going to give you here in this last episode, maybe my hottest take Okay. this whole endeavor. Okay. Here it is. Okay. Troyan is a hero for this accent. Truly. She is doing the show such a solid. The accent is so ridiculous, but she is clearly having so much fun with it. That's all anyone remembers about this scene. That's all anybody remembers about this reveal. It completely dazzle camouflages how abysmally written this reveal is and how little there is to work with here in the script. Like, what do we have for Alex Drake's villain origin story? She met Red in a pub. That's it. That's (laughs) the villain origin story. (laughs) Wow. Wow. I mean, I don't disagree. Honestly, I think you're right. I mean, it's so dumb, but like the show needs it because without it, there's nothing. Yeah, like, We have bagged on the show before for their reveal episodes that are like A's for answers, where everyone is just sitting around in a cafe watching like flashbacks in Allison's head. Uh, Or the uh, game over dead name where everyone is watching like on a big holographic screen at the Kerasuke group and everyone is watching these things play out. So like, we know that the show doesn't have a lot of ideas for ways to structure the reveals, but this is like the worst structure because it is just basically Spencer talking to herself. The other liars aren't even here to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. I think also, God, it's almost like, how do you talk about Alex Drake without like turning into a whole 45 minute conversation? One of the things that I feel like is like the worst thing about Alex Drake is that it sets up this false dichotomy of like, well, Spencer is the good normal one and Alex is like the rough and tumble bad one. And it kind of forces you to sand away all of Spencer's rough edges. And like the rough edges are what makes Spencer interesting as a character. Yeah, Yeah. 100%. 
Um, so this like this monologue that Alex Drake is on, it's gonna like move back and forth through time. We just did the flashback to Ren. Uh, Alex in the present says that Melissa was already out of the picture. She was dating some composer, so Ren was fair game. Uh, don't think too hard about this timeline, being that Ren and Melissa were together in 6B when Spencer was in, no, 6A when Spencer was in London and Hannah was arrested back in the States. Uh, Alex says that Ren's type was Melissa, then Spencer, then Melissa, then her. This is a lot to process, she snarks. Does Spencer need a sedative? I think this is meant to be a fling at Spencer's addiction issues, which is rude. Um, Spencer asks if Ren is a part of this, the twisted board games, the torture. Alex says that after Charlotte died, a sister who we don't even know at this point how she met yet, she needed closure. Ren let her come to Rosewood alone because he knew that she would get closure on her own terms and then come back to him, which she did once she found out who killed Charlotte, the killer, Mona, who she's now working with. Um, Alex is laughing and so amused at how this isn't fun for Spencer, but she's just been dying to meet her. Spencer, who is chained to her bed, tries to lunge at Alex to no avail. Then she suggests Alex could have just called. Alex laughs again at this classic Spencer line. She says she'll have to remember to use it. Spencer Hastings is sure that if Alex is going to impersonate her, Spencer's friends will notice. They will catch her out, don't we wish. Alex says she has already done it. Yeah, I mean, I I just have to say, I just have to do the 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 line. Uh, you said it, but I need to say it in the accent. It's a lot to process. Would you like a sedative? <laughs> <laughs> she is doing the most. Um, we, but this is like where like the playing with the Alex identity is just not very interesting because we're going to get these little flashbacks of times that Alex pretended to be Spencer. One of them is just Alex pretending to be Spencer to the audience. <laughs> Looking at pictures of the Hastings house. Yeah, it's like, and, and she also, Spencer says specifically her friends, only one of these is, is Hannah and it's a Hannah, like what Hannah thought was a dream. Yeah, it's Hannah like traumatized mm. and like, strung out and possibly drugged like yes. while she's kidnapped yeah i don't i don't think that anybody like none of these things are like an impersonation to hang your hat on i don't <laughs> feel i would agree i would agree and yes and of course we have the moments of kissing and fucking toby uh that get that get mentioned as well um it's also just so funny to me because like it's not like spencer was there for any of those moments because right? like so it's so it's like Alex is just like explaining to her like these are all the times I did it, you know. Um, it's so dumb. It's so dumb. Uh, so Spencer remarks that Alex is doing the same thing as Mary, pretending to be her twin and sleeping with somebody. Uh, she asks if you know how Ren feels about that, and Alex says that Ren doesn't care anymore. But there is a time when we he would have done everything for Alex. Um, we then get a flashback to the beginning part of the scene at the airport when, quote unquote, Spencer introduced Prezra to Ren, uh, where Ren and Alex are arguing about something she wants to do for him as revenge for Charlotte's death. And then Prezra shows up. Yeah, this is like almost just like not a flashback so much as a recap back so that mm -hmm. we can like rewind and like see this scene again. Also, like. 
Spencer at one point says that's why you and Mary were arguing like about Alex having slept with Toby like Mary slept with Peter. And it's like, when were they arguing? We haven't seen them arguing. That hasn't happened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there, It feels like a lot of the Alex stuff, I'm like, it feels like this was a much, there were like a lot more scenes filmed and everything was kind of cut to ribbons. Because like, it feels like all of the Alex stuff is happening in like 25 second increments. <laughs> So Alex, who is now sitting on top of the bookcase for no real reason, says that she went back to London as promised, but then she couldn't stop thinking about how good Spencer at it. A family, friends who love her, no matter if she makes big mistakes, etc. <clears throat> we get this like, I guess it's a flashback that is a flashback because we haven't seen it before. So Ren is like pacing around what I presume is their apartment saying that, you know, she has Charlotte's money now. Isn't that enough? But this isn't about money. Then why put this line in here? Ren suggests that she could just reveal herself, um, but Alex thinks they'll never accept her after what she's done. She can only go as Spencer, so she needs Ren to shoot her in the shoulder. Um, so what was that when she fucked Tobey in his cabin? At what point? Makeup, don't ask questions. Yeah, it's very, like, the timeline of everything, they're being, like, so vague about it all. Because, like, they know that nothing adds up. No! No. Nothing, nothing, nothing makes sense. This is also weirdly probably, like, the tensest scene of the episode. And it's, like, a flashback to something that we already know what happened. But it's, like, very intense. Because, like, Ren is, like, waving this gun at Alex. And she's, like, screaming at him to shoot her. And it's, like... I actually, I, like, it's one of those things where I watch that scene and I'm like, oh, there's, like, the kernel of an interesting story here. The show is just not telling it. Yeah. 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 Um, but Ren, Alex says, could never see her as anything but Alex. Spencer asks if they broke up. Alex says that she could never break up with Ren. She fingers the necklace hanging around her neck. There's, like, a little gem on it. And she says... She turned his ashes into an eternity stone. But it's also like, that's a very funny line and a very funny idea. But it's also like, so how long has Ren been dead? <laughs> like, we don't really know. Uh, just then Alex hops up. She has to get ready for the wedding. She does a sort of funny moment where she like does like a finger gun at Spencer and asks how she's planning on wearing her hair. Uh, and then she heads out. Um, one of the things that I will just say here is that Alex does not at all seem like a calculating mastermind. Like, one thing that I will say about Cece slash Charlotte, as much as I don't like the trans element of that reveal, and like a lot of other aspects of it as well, I think that Cece fits as an A character. I think that what we know about Cece at the time, you're like, you know what, that, I can understand that. Mona obviously fits really well as an A character. Prezra would fit very well as an A based on what we know about him. Um, in this situation, it's like we're meeting this character after the fact. And I just don't like th this is like a chaotic person who like tries to scam you for free drinks. This is not a criminal master. <laughs> 100,000 percent. Like Red himself would be a good A character. Like. But yes, yeah, Alex is just like, like, we're going to find out Alex could not handle improvising for two seconds in front of one of the most self-involved people on the show. Like, yes. she, she yes. got so rattled, she had to kidnap Prezra. 
this could have just been Alex wins by accident. Like all of the liars run down into the bunker and she's like, oh, door locked. I have them all. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's so dumb. It's so, so dumb. Also, I really like the way that when she's talking about the Eternity Stone, she like kind of almost licks it. And Spencer, yeah. like Spencer, who is like chained to her bed, like recoils and moves back like as if the ring is probably haunted or and or cursed. Which it just might be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, above ground, which like every time we go back to the above ground scenes, I was like breathing a sigh of relief. Um, above ground, Arya is getting ready for the wedding. The liars are in their bridesmaids' dresses, which are not all the same dress for some reason. Um, Alex is there pretending to be Spencer. When Arya comes out in her frankly kind of ugly and weird old-fashioned wedding dress that looks like maybe she bought it like when they were on that, um, you know, the World War A thrifting sure. period. Yeah. Like, it kind of looks like she saw something in a thrift store and was like, I'm buying this now and I'll wear it in six years. Like, maybe maybe that was kind of what happened here. Um, Emily cries. Alex, as Spencer, has tears in her eyes, too. She's just so happy to be there with all of them, celebrating Aria. Just then, Pam comes in with a crying Emerson baby. Alex, as Spencer, asks if she can hold her. This is very un-Spencer-like behavior, but, like, no one notices. Just, like, no one notices her taking the baby to a corner of the room and telling the little tyke that she has her father's eyes, thus revealing to the baby <laughs> soap opera talking aloud for no reason style. Uh, <laughs> That she knew Red would make beautiful babies. Okay, when did she freeze his sperm for this caper exactly? Did she have it, like, packed when she first arrived <laughs> to investigate the Charlotte situation? Don't ask questions. Yeah, and we also don't know, like, did Red know about this? Like, this is just something that they drop in. This is, like, the opposite of a raw herring. This is, like, an overcooked herring where you're, like... What a weird place to drop this, like, highly significant piece of information. And also, also, that is not being revealed to any of the liars. No. It's just being revealed to the baby. So, like, unless the baby, like, years later is, like, under hypnosis or something. And she's like, I remember this crazed British aunt telling me about how my father read a beautiful baby's None of the liars are ever going to get this information. It's so strange. It's really just, it's so bizarre. It's so bizarre. Also, they were like a hair's breadth away from making this an incest baby somehow. Oh, you know it. You know. You know? Um, I will say, I actually think Troyan's Alex as Spencer acting is her best acting in this episode. I, I think agree. she's great as, like, there's this, like, shiftiness to her when she's Alex pretending to be Spencer. Her words are just, like, a little bit more stilted. Like, it's very masterful. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. Uh, so back at the bunker. Oh, also, just the the bridesmaids' dresses are hideous. I just have to say that. They're so ugly. <laughs> yeah, they definitely, I feel like it's the same costume designer that did the Pugposal shirt. Like, they didn't really know what to do because, you know, Gasp, Allison was like, what a size eight at this time like yeah. they were just like oh no what are we going to do and so like hannah's dress and emily's dress are kind of the same but uh but like spencer's dress is not and allison's dress is super not 
And and Arya's wedding dress is so ugly. Mm. Like, yeah, it's just this, hideous. This this episode could also be called like like what is that? The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. Like this, this yeah. episode is like the three wedding dresses of Arya Montgomery. <laughs> That's the book that Arya is going to write, like, you know, <laughs> post-divorce. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so back at the bunker, Mary walks in, uh, telling Spencer that she is a prisoner, too. As a wanted convict, she is really only here, uh, you know, as, as, like, as Alex wants her to be. Uh, Mary wants them to have lunch together, uh, and she announces that she took a lover in Peru who showed her how to make this dish. Uh, I wouldn't trust that it's not drugged, Spencer, but Spencer does start to eat the food. Uh, she asks where they are. Mary claims not to know. Uh, she was in the jail, and the next thing she knew, she was here. She didn't even know that Alex was alive. Yeah. Um, so, like, she says she didn't know until Alex came to visit her a few weeks ago, which is, like, so after Mary was already in jail, so well after the conclusion of the previous episode. So, like, Mary and Alex were not known to one another during 6B, 7A, or 7B prior to this episode. Just so we're clear on what is being stated here. Correct. Okay. Okay. Great. 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 So, flashback to the Radley. Peter Hastings was wearing a fedora and spiriting his secret baby away into the night. But he suffered from that go around the corner and become deaf situation that happens <laughs> so often on this show and didn't hear the nurse exclaiming about the second baby. And like ultrasounds did not exist in the 90s, I guess, so no one could ever have known that it was twins. One of the corrupt doctors arranged for the adoption in exchange for half the money. Money for selling the baby, I guess? And that was Mary's ticket out of Radley. Alex was adopted by a wealthy couple in England. But Alex had some issues, and her adoptive parents dumped her in an orphanage, giving her back her birth name of Alex Drake. She ran away from the workhouse for wayward Victorian urchins when she was just 10 years old, which was a year before Mary discovered that she had been there. Oh, my God. It's it's so silly like it's just it's just so silly like the 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 I mean once again like so anti-adoption in that weird way um and just yeah like I was saying before just like reducing Spencer to simply good the good child uh as if Spencer didn't have like a really like tortured traumatic childhood as well just in a very different way um and you know there's a line that Mary has about can you imagine how alone she must have felt Spencer says that she can um I just I don't know. It's just so weird. Well, the other thing that's really weird about it is that, like, when Ren meets Alex, Alex is bartending in a pub. She's not, like, she's not, like, in an asylum where he is working in the UK. Yeah. She's not, like, she's not, like, robbing banks. She's not, like, like. Yes. She's, she seems to be having, like, a pretty normal British life. So it yeah. almost seems like she doesn't, on, on one hand, it almost seems like, well, she doesn't become a psychopath until she finds out that some of her family members are psychopaths and then like, oh, it's unstoppable. She's a psychopath. But also in Mary's recounting of it, like, oh, she always had these serious problems. and That's why her adoptive parents dumped her in an orphanage. Yeah. And it's also just like, it's so, it's a, so the thing that you talk about, about the show only having one idea of like, so this is just 
basically a rehash of the whole Charlotte situation. Yeah. You know, plus a British accent and minus the transphobia. Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's what we've got here. Um, like, Spencer starts to get really upset at this point. She starts crying. Uh, Mary says that she wants to hold her, but says that Alex would never forgive her. Uh, but then there's a kind of nice moment where uh, Mary does open up the door and goes and embraces Spencer. Spencer sobs in her arms. Uh, then Mary quickly straightens back up, locks her back up and leaves. We see that Spencer now has a bobby pin that was unclear whether she stole it or Mary gave it to her. I mean, I feel like Mary Drake knows that Spencer is taking it for sure. Yeah, like, I think that's probably true. because Spencer says thank you. Like, yes. She's- leaving so yeah i i think mary drake does know that spencer has the bobby pin yeah i think you're right uh above ground presra has sent ari a text that he is not coming to the wedding uh i would just like to say that like at no point does anyone ever say oh my goodness how completely out of character for him to just text Arya about a major change he has decided on in their relationship. Uh, yep. Because that's 100% something he would do. Uh, Arya is distraught. Byron assures her this is not about her. It's about this weasel that she was going to marry. Alex thinks Arya should call him again. The liars wonder if they should tell the guests. Arya blames herself for letting Mr. Pouty Pants down in the fight that they had the night before. Caleb bustles in, completely unhelpful, wanting to know what's happened. Byron heads out to take care of the guest situation. Yeah, I I just think it is so telling that it's like, you know, like, Arya doesn't say like, well, there's absolutely no way he would have done this to me. So like something must have happened. It's like, well, yeah, he's abandoning me on our wedding day. That seems about right. (laughs) That, that yeah, we, we did. We had a fight because I had not told him on his timeline about my medical situation. Yes. Yes, exactly. Uh, so back in the bunker, Spencer is trying to pick the lock when she sees someone coming to in a cell across the way. And that somebody is Prezra. He explains that he was trying to talk to Spencer about a reservation at the Radley Uh, And then he followed her out and started asking her questions that she didn't know the answer to. And suddenly he found himself here. He is instantly a sarcastic asshole with Spencer uh, and, you know, blames it on the fact like he seems to be kind of blaming Spencer for the fact that she didn't have any for the fact that she has an evil twin that he that she didn't know about. It's weird. Yeah, I feel like he's, you know, like. After Spencer asks him if he's okay, and he does a version of, like, some of us have real problems being imprisoned on our wedding day, Spencer. Like, queer Spencer's like, Spencer can be imprisoned at any old time. What do they have going on? Like, that is basically how he is. Exactly. Uh, Above ground, Arya is in a Radley bathrobe. But... She has placed her ugly wedding dress. It's not like in a heap on the floor. It's not like hanging up in the back of the closet. Oh no. Arya has obtained a mannequin and she's like put it up in the window and dressed it in her wedding dress for maximum gothic moping value. It's oh, great. That's so Arya. It really is. It is so Arya. I love it. Uh, Pam will stay with the babies. So Emerson are going to stay with Arya this night. Um, Spencer slash Alex is going by the apartment to get Arya something to wear. 
There is a knock at the door and Arya rushes over thinking it's Presra, but it's Hannah instead. Arya is deeply upset. Yeah, this scene reminded me of the first Sex in the City movie. Um, so Spencer is still working on the lock when Alex walks in. Hello, sister. She greets. And then there's like a funny little moment where she kind of mimics the way that Spencer touches her hair. Uh, Prezra, you know, he's the big man here. So he's going to try to sort this out. He tries to tell Alex that she doesn't have to do this. And then she, I thought this moment was actually genuinely funny. She mimics herself pretending to be Spencer. She's like, we met before. And she like drops into the Alex as Spencer accent uh, and starts like talking about Ren. I think it's so great. Um, she kind of like shuts, shuts old uh, Prezra up, which, you know, I mean, in that way, she is sort of the hero of this episode. Uh, Spencer tells Alex that they'll understand if she became AD because of Charlotte, ugh, they'll forgive her like they forgave Mona. Well, if Alex is going to do things based on the way they treat Mona, then I don't think she should change any plans because they are not so nice to Mona. Uh, but then Spencer figures out that this is about Toby. Alex says that he is afraid to be with his one true love, me. Mary saved Spencer at the blind school, we learn. Sydney was a one-off, apparently. She was stealing money from the bank. And Jenna recruited Noel. Uh, Alex got Charlotte's money, and Jenna was desperate for a last chance to see. Uh, she still can't, which Alex says in a rather uh, ableist fashion. And then there's something about Sarah looking for a treasure under the Radley or something. Honestly, I a little bit lost the thread at this point. <laughs> oh, I I forgot. I forgot to tell you about the closed captioning before, but I, I will. Okay. In the scene when uh, Ren is in the pub, when he's just the man who came in out of the rain. Yeah. And he's like saying that she's Spencer and she's like, no. And then she says, I'm Alex Drake. And it, it's so British that the closed captioning thought that she said, I'm Alex straight. Which, <laughs> I don't think so. You know what's so funny is we had the closed captioning on too, and I remember that as well. And thinking, <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> yeah, um, but like, so here I actually had to. I was like really glad that I had the closed captioning on because the stuff about Sarah is Sarah. Like Charlotte told Sarah, she had her greatest treasure buried under the Bradleys. Sarah thought it was a pot of gold, but it was that file they found. But the way that she says file is like so hard to understand. I had to like, I had to like go back and, and read what the word was. Uh, I disagree that a dusty old file would be Charlotte's greatest treasure, but okay, because according to uh, Alex, all Charlotte ever wanted was a family. <clears throat> now, I, yeah, we'll, we'll, talk, we'll talk more about all this, but like, so Alex was at the school for the blind, not just Jenna and Noel and Sydney, because Alex is the one who like spirits Jenna away. Blah, blah, blah. Sydney was a one-off. Jenna sent Noel to look for Alex because Jenna knew that Charlotte had a sister. The Karasimi group was just the tip of the iceberg. What? Huh? Charlotte left Alex everything. I guess this is about money, which is such an imaginary concept at this point. It's really wild. Um, so Jenna wanted money. Alex paid her. Jenna's still blind. Sarah, the pot of gold. Okay. Okay. I think we're caught up. Flashback. Charlotte gets off the plane in France, dressed as Vivian Darkbloom. She has met Rollins on the flight over and charmed slash enchanted him 
he will bring her the next day and he kisses her hand and calls her Charlotte Drake. So this puts the time frame here right after the season four finale, A is for Answers. We know that Melissa and Ren had been together at this exact time um, because Toby went to London to visit them to find Melissa and only found Ren. He came back in season five, episode two. Oh, interesting. Toby was just like in London when all of this Charlotte and Alex Drake business was going on. Um, but at any rate, uh, he found Ren, not Alex, apparently. Also, Ren and Melissa are together when Spencer is in London in 521, bloody hell, and 522 to clear not to plea. Uh, I was going to say that this is where the poorly laid out timeline of Endless November hurts any attempt to go back and insert other events on top of it. But that's not even really true because the timeline starts advancing again in the middle of season five when we get to how the A's hold Christmas in 513, at which point, again, Cece Drake is already back in Rosewood, but pay no attention to the timeline behind the curtain. In this version of events, Charlotte, while traveling undercover as Vivian Darkbloom, has given Archer her real name and he's going to call her. Just as he walks away in a weirdly shaggy wig, has no other purpose, <laughs> Uh, she gets a call from Ren. Ren tells her that Alex is there to meet her in the airport bar. Her name is Alex Drake, just like the name that Charlotte found in her mom's Radley file. In which case, shouldn't Ren have recognized her name when she gave it at the bar? Don't ask questions! He tells Charlotte that she'll recognize her. She looks a lot like someone. You see Charlotte and Alex meet, and according to Alex, they could not stop talking. They walked the streets of Paris all night. Also get some backstory that Charlotte met Archer on this plane. They have one of the greatest love stories ever before she came back to Rosewood. So again, this all happens when Charlotte is briefly overseas after A is for Answers. Charlotte and Archer and Ren and Alex had so many great times. Was Archer on the A-team, Spencer asks? Nope. The stunt he pulled with marrying and then throwing Allison into a mental hospital in order to steal all of her money was all him. He found Mary and convinced her it was what Charlotte would have wanted, and it probably was Alex agrees. So, so Archer, <laughs> Archer wanted to get revenge for Charlotte, but instead of contacting Alex, Charlotte's sister, who he has like a previous chummy relationship with, he instead tracks down Mary Drake, Charlotte's like unknown until this point mother and has her assist with her schemes. And then when Alex Drake gets to town and her previously unknown mother is running around doing schemes and Archer, her previously chummy crime accomplice and like great love of her dead sister is also like running around doing vengeful things. Alex does not conspire with either of them. In fact, Alex like doesn't really let either of them know that she is in town and also doing a vengeance plan is, is that what is happening here i guess so i mean it's so weird because like this show has an obsession with like duos committing crimes like oh you know jenna and noel they're a duo alex and ren they're a duo charlotte and archer they're a duo and it's just like I don't know, all of the constant, like, they're on this team and they're on that team and who's double-crossing who and all of that. Like, it's so, it stops meaning anything. So all these other people are running around doing all their own schemes and unaffiliated with whatever Alex was up to, and Noel and Jenna were aligned with Archer, 
and Jenna had to recruit Noel to look for Alex, even though Charlotte and Archer knew about her and had spent lots of time together, but just kept that whole situation, except for her existence, a secret for whatever reason. Clear as extremely muddy mud. I guess so. Sure. Sure. Um, so we learn that Charlotte missed the game and we get more bad wigs in a flashback when Charlotte is telling Alex that she is going back uh, and Alex is to stay safe here. Uh, they embrace. Charlotte hands her something and says that it is her favorite. There's like, I mean, you don't have to dig too far to be like, why does Charlotte feel affection for Alex and not Spencer? Because, you know, she feels like Alex was a kid who was thrown away like herself. But it's not like, it just seems so almost random, like who Charlotte's affection is placed with. And Charlotte is at this point portrayed as such a like unfeeling monster that like these scenes where she's like being affectionate with Archer or with Alex, it's like, it, it it's like a human interacting with a robot or something. And it's not Vanessa Ray's fault. She's doing what she can, but like they've done such a horrible job of like deciding who the Charlotte character is that it just doesn't really seem to matter anymore. Anyway, the record that she gives Alex is Patsy Cline's greatest hits. We learned that Charlotte never returned to London. The next time Alex saw her, she was visiting her grave. But she trusts Charlotte about Spencer being toxic, and she says she was thrown away like trash, and Charlotte saved her. Huh? Anyway, she's going to kill Prezra soon, but for now, story time is over. Oh, don't threaten me with a good time. <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna kill Prezra and stop telling this nonsense tale? Oh, well, no, no, don't do that. Yeah, I won't get in your way then. <laughs> I mean, I feel like the Prezra death is very gay motivated, especially based on the next scene where Alex is walking through the darkened Radley room where all the liars are cuddled up. She climbs into bed next to Arya and starts stroking her hair, murmuring, I think we'll be the closest of all. It's very gay, which I love. However, it's like, once again, gay equals villain, right? Like, I'm of, I'm very much of two minds about this. Of course, I love that Evil Spencer is gay. Um, but I also resent that Evil Spencer is gay. Well, also, Good Spencer is gay. She's just not as open about it. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. It also feels like this was very much them being like, we're going to give the fans a little bit of what they want. No, they're not. But like so many people wanted Spencer to be gay that it's kind of like this is a we're, we're getting a version of it. We're getting a version of Spencer being gay and a version of Spencer being a. Oh, my God. It's everybody. A everybody gay. <laughs> everybody Spencer. Yes. <laughs> OK, so the next morning, Alex goes to. I'm just calling this the horse area. I don't really know <laughs> if it's like a stables, if it's the Hastings backyard. It's the horse area. Um, but she cannot fool Bashful, who rears at her when she tries to saddle him. Uh, Tobey witnesses this incident and also the brief faltering of Alex's American accent that follows. Yeah, it's it's funny. It's a funny little moment. Uh, so the liars are frantically looking for any info about Prezra and where he might go when random moment number 412 of this episode, a man with a big old mustache and a little twirly hat arrives with cocktails 
to take Mr. and Mrs. Fitzgerald on a hot air balloon ride. Uh, yuck, I don't trust this guy and I don't trust his mustache. But the liars figure out that this must mean that Prezra, you know, was planning on getting married as of yesterday. Yeah, why did he choose to do this instead of making a meaningful apology to his future wife? Who knows? Who knows? Also, I would not, like, I would not get on, like, the back of a tandem bicycle driven by this very clownish-looking fellow in his aviator. No! Yeah, yeah. Quite something. Outside of the Hastings and Hastings Law Offices, um, probably a divorce firm, Veronica is walking Jenna out of the office. Jenna wants Veronica to threaten a civil case against Addison, uh, who she says needs to be stopped. So Jenna is going to sue the parents of one of her students. Good, good. Uh, Alex is sitting outside on a bench and calls Veronica a rock star. Uh, After Veronica goes back in, Jenna thanks Spencer for setting this up. Jenna pauses and asks if that's a new perfume Spencer is wearing. Uh, Spencer says, oh, it's horse hair because she was at the stables with Toby. Spencer being this friendly and mentioning Tobey to Jenna seems very off. Um, After Alex goes inside, Jenna calls Tobey and I think leaves a message saying that she doesn't think Spencer is Spencer. I mean, of course, I love Jenna, like, smelling Spencer to be part of this. But what I don't love is, like, that Jenna and Toby and Bashful are the ones that figure this out and not the liars. I mean, I do not think we should give Toby credit for figuring it out himself. Jenna calls him and tells him, and that is how he knows, although he does not credit either the horse or Jenna for the reveal. But then, as we're going to, like, he plays a much more major role in the figuring of this out than the liars do, which I do not like. A hundred percent. So Caleb has hacked into Prezra's credit card accounts uh, and has learned that he hasn't spent money and his car is still parked at the Radley, which, like... Couldn't they just, like, look around the Radley lot and be, like, in <laughs> car there? It seems so dumb that they have to, like, break into the mainframe to figure it out or whatever. Um, in walks Toby with a poetry book and a story about Spencer kissing him. Arya's like, that's fine, but what of Prezra? Uh, Toby <laughs> announces there is not one single note in this poetry book, meaning that it can't belong to Spencer. He questions, what if twins run in the family? Uh, Caleb decides that this would give her motive to be A.D., It's really annoying that the men are the ones essentially piecing this together. Yeah. Also, Toby's whole thing is like, there are no notes in this book. Well, couldn't she have just gotten a clean copy? Couldn't she have just bought a clean copy to give to him as a present? Yeah. Still have her. Okay. Okay. It's also like we've, this poetry book has never mattered. Like this is, it's really just, it's just an invented thing for this. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, I feel like the evil Spencer twin theory is one that everyone accepts quite readily, even though there's like a meta line about like, oh, this is the craziest conclusion we've ever jumped to. And someone else is like, no, it's not. Like, (laughs) oh my God. Um, but we then see that Mona is watching them. She has like an audio and video feed, which I love. Uh, She calls AD and says, it's time for plan B. They need to meet and she needs to know where they are. Yeah, she's in a great queer look in this scene, too. Oh, yes. 
Um, but again, it's like so unclear this whole episode, like who Mona's, who's Mo- who Mona is playing for here. Yeah, I agree. I like mean, the, she, she kidnapped Spencer. Yeah, they never really cleared that up. It's strange. And yeah, we'll continue to be strange. Uh, uh, also, where is Mona staying now? Where does Hannah think that Mona is staying? Yeah, good point. Good point. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> Uh, so back in the bunker, Prezra and Spencer are listening in on Mary and Alex arguing about killing Spencer. Uh, they are in this area that's like meant to look like the an outside kind of like sitcom set, but it's actually the bunker. Uh, very, you know, not so not as cool as like the the whole dollhouse situation. Uh, Alex says that she isn't going anywhere without Toby. She grabs an axe off of the wall. Mary tries to tell her that she is Spencer. And in probably Troy's best line delivery of the episode, she says, I am Spencer now. Her accent dropping off halfway through the sentence. The thing that I think would make this more effective would be if Alex genuinely seemed to think that she was Spencer, but she doesn't. Like, she seems very clear that she's completely different from Spencer. Yes. Also, her reason for killing Ren was that Ren was always going to see her as Alex. Honey? Why do you think Red is with you? (laughs) I really don't know. I really don't know what is in that pint that you're drinking, but I, I, I beg to disagree. Yes. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Like, oh man. Um, Also, like, I feel that this would like, so, so it, it would also be, better or more suspenseful if Alex were better at impersonating Spencer. Yeah. Um, it, it really doesn't feel like, it, it, first of all, it does not feel for even one second like Alex is someone who's going to be capable of murdering Spencer. It, it's, no, not it at does all. Not, it does not feel in any way likely. Um, and also, like, let's say that she did. Let's say that she killed Spencer and, like, got rid of Spencer's body um, before everyone rushes in. Like, her ability to impersonate Spencer is very low. Like this yeah. is not yeah. going to, this is not a long-term game plan. And also when Mary Drake of all people tells you that your grip on reality might be a little bit tenuous. Yeah. You should like really, you need to look at your life, look at your life, Alex. Yeah. Figure it out. Yeah, and so this scene kind of, like, one line that Mary has in here is she says, you know, she knows what it's like to want something so bad that you believe that it's true. Um, I think that it is a big mistake for the Mary character to align her with Spencer. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Um, And then Alex punches Mary in the face, knocks her out, and scene. Yes. Um, Do you want to go ahead and take this next Mona moment? Sure, I can take this moment. Uh, So Mona is explaining to everyone that Ren came to Welby to kill her, uh, but she convinced him to help her get Mary out of, out of jail, I guess. Uh, Hannah is mad, uh, saying that she's still playing the game uh, and she's still with her. Uh, Mona says that she knows where she is. She rattles off some coordinates. Toby, isn't that your house? He never found out who bought it. Oh, my God. Uh, it's a very, like, liars assemble moment. Um, it's it's interesting because it's kind of a triumphant moment for Mona. But, like, everything that happens for Mona for the rest of this episode just, like, bums me out so supremely. Well, no one thanks her. Like, no, no. one like no, no one is at all grateful for this. 
also Toby being like, well, I never found out who bought it. Like who bought Toby's house was not, I feel one of the enduring mysteries of that <laughs> I yeah. just feel like, like, oh, a real estate transaction. Fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> about that. Um, yeah, I, I'm not, not loving it. Um, also, so Ren came to Welby to try and kill her, but then she convinced Ren that she peaceful them. So when did Ren go to Welby? So, so Ren went to Welby at some point within the, the past year. So yeah. when was Ren killed exactly? Interred in the interiors? Okay, okay, don't ask questions. Don't, don't ask, ask questions. questions. Yeah. Uh, Prezra and Spencer are running through a network of tunnels and climbing up to escape this bunker they get to a score storage room and then out, but the outside world is just fake. They are still underground. Uh, elsewhere, Alex and her axe arrive at the cells that Prezra and Spencer have recently escaped from. She calls after them to taunt about how there is a no way out. Yeah, uh, Prezra kind of has a moment that it feels ripped straight from Lost where he's like, we're still underground, but it's just like not super impactful. <laughs> no, it's really not. Um, so the liars plus the men arrive at Toby's house. I guess the door was just unlocked. Uh, they see all of Spencer's furniture, um, but with, you know, new new tags on it. There's no security. Also, it seems like there would be a, like, wouldn't it be more effective if this, like, if Spencer was a, was a, was a lure, was a trap to try to lure all of them there? But, like... That doesn't seem to be the situation. Alex seems to have little interest in tormenting the other liars. She seems to just want to join their ranks. Yes, true. Which she could have done with much less fuss, but rather more research. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I I feel like, um, um, you know, they, they discover the tunnel, they're heading down. What a bad plan. Like, leave a few of you... Not in the underground bunker, so you can't all be taken hostage at once. Just just a wild idea that I have. Just a thought. Just a thought. Uh, um, underground, a switch flips, and it's suddenly night. Alex Drake sneaks up on them and knocks Prezra unconscious with the fire axe. She and Spencer talk and fight and struggle for the axe. Yeah, it's... It, there's like a line in there about like it's not too late to be a family yes it is they do like kind of a mimic thing where like Alex is mimicking Spencer and then she eventually drops the Spencer accent and speaks in her British accent uh, then suddenly who is there but Toby with a gun and we have the classic who's the evil twin uh, and it's such a huge bummer that the liars can't figure it out as Spencer and Alex are both pleading uh, to be believed as the real Spencer uh, Toby grabs at one of the Spencers, asking what her favorite poem is from the book, uh, and the real Spencer, who is the not-grabbed one, answers in French. Really did your research there, Alex Drake. You couldn't even figure out Spencer's favorite poem? Uh, uh, Mona, hired help from France, masquerading as a cop, arrives just then and <laughs> arrests Alex. Uh, as Alex has walked out, her parting shot is, no one can call you loser Mona anymore. Mona replies, you don't know the half of it. Which I feel like is, like, not one of Mona's best lines. I strongly agree. Um, I also want to shout out Aria for, during this, like, dramatic Spencer off, Aria sees fucking Prezra laying on the ground with his head wound and just, like, runs over to him, like, oh, Prezra! Yes. Like, I wish the both of the Spencers had just looked at her and said, like, 
really? That would have been great. <laughs> oh my goodness. Also, like, not only can none of the liars tell them apart, but none of the liars even say anything. They're just like yeah. watching this scene in mute astonishment. Like, yeah, there, there is actually like no, a, a, they add nothing to the scene. Like having all the liars no. here, nothing. No, go on, girl, give us nothing. Yeah. Well, um, <clears throat> this episode is not over yet. No, <laughs> it is not. We now have to watch an entire wedding ceremony for Presria. She has a new dress. He has no head wound anymore. It's healed. How much time has passed? Who knows? Don't ask questions. They're getting married in the Rosewood Church, um, you know, place of many previous funerals and murders. Uh, there are way fewer guests than those who previously attended the rehearsal dinner. All these moms are beaming at Arya, marrying her former high school teacher, and no one is glaring at him at all. When they get to the part about speak now, forever hold your peace, there is the sound of a cell phone notification. Oh no! Is it A? Ha ha ha! Nope, it's Marlene King making a cameo as a videographer in the back. And making a gratuitous shush sign at the congregation as she silences it. Recently married and hopefully soon to be divorced, Fitzes walk out as everyone cheers. Yeah, Ashley once again looks super hot. I'll just give her credit for that. So this is the last scene of the PLLs. They are all outside. They are talking about duck. We have a classic Hannah Spencer sort of, you know, uh, intelligence tussle. Uh, Toby is apparently sticking around to hook up with Spencer. Emily ships them. Hannah ponders whether it is possible that they are all happy at the same time before she reveals that she is pregnant. Oh, love all these people in their early 20s desperate to have children. She makes a point to connect with Aria, who we learn is meeting with an adoption agency when she and Prezra get back from their trip. These children are having children. Uh, they all cry. Allie says that it feels like it's the ending of something. They all embrace and say, I love you. Yeah, I mean, this is nice enough. Like, they hug. They celebrate everybody being happy at the same time. Um, my takeaways from the scene are, number one, Aria is not a vegetarian anymore, or the writers forgot that she ever was one. Yeah. Because she's going to have the duck on the plane. Uh, and also... Uh, Caleb does not, he has told Hannah not to tell her friends about being pregnant. So yep. good old Caleb, still a controlling asshole, even this yep. undetermined amount of time later. Absolutely. Uh, so the camera pans uh, up into the sunny sky and we see the steeple of the Rosewood Church and then it is night and French music is playing. There's just like an accordion, it's very French. We go to the interior of a Parisian doll shop where Mona Vanderwall, wearing a beret, is working and speaking flawless French. A man comes in with groceries. He is the cop from the scene where Alex was arrested, and it's clear he is Mona's boyfriend slash minion. By the way, she is smooching on him. Will she be over for dinner? Oh, yes. She won't be long. She puts the closed sign in the window and goes downstairs. Where there are tunnels and a locked door and a dollhouse with a tea time scene and a one-way glass window behind it that reveals Mary Drake and Alex Drake trapped into the scene and having tea themselves. Mary says she can't keep them there forever. Of course she can, Alex snarks. She's Mona. 
Mona meets Alex meets Mona's eyes through the glass and Mona smiles. So I I really hate this ending for Mona and I think we'll talk about it a lot more next week. Honestly, this might be my least favorite character ending of anybody in the series because Mona like it's meant to feel triumphant. It's meant to feel like, oh, Mona's got them. Like, you go, girl. She won the game. She won the game. But like, this is not Mona winning the game. This is Mona trapping herself in another dollhouse. Like, I just, I just really hate this being framed as triumphant when this is like essentially a very severe relapse of somebody's mental illness. Yeah, I completely, yeah, I'm completely there with you. Um the show wants to frame it as a win for Mona when, like, a, a, a real win would be, like, Mo- Mona moving forward, Mona becoming, like, mentally healthy, Mona getting to be in love with Hannah. Like, this, this is not that. Yes. Yes. Agreed. But the show's still not over. Because... <laughs> A new generation begins. It was so funny because it cuts over to this shot of the liars, of the not the liars, the like new <laughs> liars all sleeping. And Kelsey just goes, Oh, is this the beginning of the pretenders or whatever? And I laughed for like a full minute because like she thought that the spinoff was called the pretenders and that this is what it was, which you know what? It might as well be. Um, so these little mini not liars wake up. Uh, little Hannah, little Emily wakes up little Hannah, I guess. Uh, Sydney Sweeney, who will always just be Sydney Sweeney to me. Uh, she is at the, um, at the doorway saying that Addison is gone. I think I heard a scream. And my note on that is what a terrible joyless ending. <laughs> this is the last shot ever of PLL. And it's a close up on the face of Sydney Sweeney, who is now much more famous. And that's it's it. So- it's so funny because it's like, like, like Kelsey pointed out, she was like, Sydney Sweeney says the last line on Pretty Little Liars. And I was like, that's a trivia question you'd never expect. <laughs> so true. So true. Yeah, that's it. That's PLL. That's all, folks. Okay, I am really impressed by agreeing with one another that we were going to save our, like, you know, deep philosophical discussion about what this episode means for the next episode of our podcast. We have gotten through this, like, double-stuffed episode in good time for us, I feel. I completely agree. I completely agree. Um, Before we kind of move into, like, sort of shelve the conversation for next week, do you have any, like, burning things that you feel like you want to say? I just think that PLL is working so hard in this episode to try to set itself up for a spinoff that it's like, it's embarrassing because what you should really do if you want to have a spinoff that people are going to be excited about is to seem like you have like some fresh new ideas. There is not a single new idea here. All of these ideas have been done over and over and over again. And you're actually like recreating the entire like origin of PLL just with some new characters that's that's not something that anyone at this time is longing for yeah yeah I I I would agree it's setting up something that is just not not what anybody asked for who wanted this 
Yeah. 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 Um, I, yeah, I, I totally agree. And I will have so many more thoughts to share, but I think that, I think that, you know, we can, we can probably shelve it for now. I think like, I would be really curious. I, this is what I'll put out to our listeners. I would be very curious if there are people who really, who liked this finale. And I would be curious to know what you liked about it. I think a lot of people liked it. I think people people liked liked Mona. A lot of people liked Mona. They feel different about it than we do. I think that, like, even I think Heather Hogan was like, yay, Mona, she won the game. Um, So I I do feel like there are people who like this ending for Mona. And I, I see where they're coming from, from, like, a certain angle. But I feel like we've always treated the show and these characters, like, no matter how ridiculous the situation was, like, we wanted to believe in like the humanity of these characters. And if you believe in Mona's humanity, this, this is not a happy ending for her. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I don't really feel like it's a happy ending for any of them. And it's an ending that prioritizes to me, all of the least interesting parts of the show. Yeah. And it, it's a very like heteronormative ending. Like the, the happy ending is getting married. The happy ending is having children. Like, that feels like, you know, that feels very, like, 18th century novel. Uh, And it really seems like the world has kind of moved to a place where, like, there could be other happy endings. Like, maybe the happy ending is that, like, Hannah has, like, a fantastic fashion career. Like, that would be a happy ending. Like, maybe the happy ending is, like, Arya's next book is coming out, like, that she wrote by herself. Like, that would be a happy ending. Maybe... The ending could be like, yeah, there are just a lot of other things that we could have that are not like, oh, and then they got married and had kids and yeah, going to do this all over again. Well, and we'll definitely talk about next week a lot of the like other endings that could have happened um, and kind of what what we would have liked to see. And, you know, we have a lot of things I think that we'll be covering, but I, I also invite our listeners, if you have thoughts on the various endings, let us know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is like finale part one coming to an end. Um, If you have thoughts on any of this, please reach out. We've gotten a couple emails this week, really nice emails from folks. Um, I have some that I need to respond to, but, um, you know, just it's been so fun being on the journey with everybody. It has. And you know what? I really want to take this moment at at the end of uh, the finale here to thank you for doing so much of the administrative work of our podcast, for posting things and editing things. And like you are so much better at responding to emails than I am. So thank you so much. Uh, And the podcast was like it was your idea originally. Um, And I just it's been it's been such a blast. I'm sure we're going to keep it going in some form or another um, because we really like doing this. But um, but yeah, thank you for like all of the time and energy and love and care you've put into this. And listeners, like, thank you for the love and care that you've put into this journey with us as well. Well, and thank you, Joanna, for for all of the love and care as well, because I cannot imagine a better person to go on this journey with. There is not another person in the world that I would want to take on this particular project with. And uh, I just can't believe that, you know. Here we are. Here we are at the end. I, I can't imagine anyone else that I know in, in like the <laughs> world who would have like felt like this journey was going to be fun. And it has been really fun. And I'm so glad. I'm so glad that we've done it. 
I agree. I agree. All right. Well, if you have thoughts, you can, of course, send us an email at everybodyapodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can also send in a rating and review on iTunes. We'd appreciate it. You can check out our podcast, Everybody A uh, Pod. I totally, I totally missed <laughs> that up. Check out our Instagram, Everybody A Podcast. Uh, you can check out our Spotify. Between this week and next week, I am going to be posting um, a little finale playlist of some songs that uh, this this finale and kind of just the conclusion of the series sort of put put in mind for me. So um for us as well you know i, I invite yeah. anybody who wants to to have thoughts you know to be added onto there uh but yeah this was the finale of pretty little liars there's no like next week we're gonna be talking about episode blah 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 yeah it's so true i feel like um i feel like what we should really do to honor this episode is we should act like we're ending the episode of this podcast like multiple times and then it's <laughs> not being the end but no, yeah, we're, we yeah. won't really do that. This we won't do that to you. We won't do that to you. All right. Well, until next week when we get into the finale part two. Thanks for coming along on the ride. Take care.